In, in case you don't know me, my name is Don Miller. I'm one of the elders here at Harvest Decatur. It's my privilege and, uh, frankly, an honor to be teaching another installment of our elder sermon series uh, that we've titled Commissioned. You know, in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, the word says the elders are to be able to teach, and here at Harvest, we attempt to stay true to that ideal by having a series like this each summer where for six to eight weeks during the summer, each of the elders uh, current elders, past, present, and future, uh, bring the word for our hearing. So, you know, as we open God's word this morning, uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit work, works to refresh each one of us. And as we listen, um, you know, if you would just pray with me uh, as we start our time together uh, to get us, get us started. Gracious Father, as we enter into this time, we need you to provide us with eyes to see and ears to hear your word. May your spirit, Lord, guide our thinking. And may the things that distract us be put aside that we may focus on you this morning. We pray, Lord, that your persistent and unrelenting desire that we grow closer to you would be done today. We ask for your word to pierce our hearts and to move each one of us to a place where we bring glory and honor to you. And as I speak this morning, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So our text, again, this morning can be found in Acts chapter 3 in its entirety. And if you haven't already, I'm sure you'll want to turn, turn there um, in your Bibles or navigate on your electronic devices as um, we'll be there for what I believe will be some good old-fashioned Bible teaching. You know, I tend to be, I personally tend to be a fairly active person. Um, you know, and one of the things that, that that causes me to do is I associate with a lot of different groups and, and so forth. And, um, you know, as I frequently connect with different people, you know, I, Beekeepers Association and uh, the Running Club and... You know, there's this pickleball group that I've started to, to get engaged with now, but I've also affectionately kind of connected with this group that I creatively had coined my, my tennis group, right? So, um, you know, most of you know that I broke my elbow uh, seven, eight weeks or so ago now, and I am so thankful that the Lord is mending that damage quickly, um, you know, and it's coming along quite well, but I remember the morning after my injury... I couldn't straighten my elbow, couldn't straighten it, so I got it about there, and that was it. Uh, well, I'd pretty much settled in my mind that I'd give the injury 24 or so hours, maybe a couple of days, to resolve itself and see how, see how it felt before I went to the doctor. But I knew I had tennis matches that were coming up in the next couple of days, or in the next few days, and I knew that there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to play in those tennis matches. So... Uh, what I needed to do is call the team captain and, and tell Janet um, Hogan, I needed to tell Janet that, you know, there was no way I was going to be able to play. So I called and gave her the bad news. You know, and after giving her the lowdown on what had happened and what my plan was for, for recovery, um, she said, don't wait, you need to see a specialist. You know, you need to see someone who can take care of you, get you back on the tennis court as soon as possible. And I responded with my laissez-faire, wait-and-see-how-things-progress type of attitude. Uh, needless to say, Janet wasn't very happy with, with my response. 
um, you know, we, we ended our conversation, and it wasn't 10 minutes later that my phone rings, and it's Janet back on the phone, and, and she called me and said, Don, I have you set up for an appointment with Dr. Wu <laughs> at the orthopedic and rehabilitation specialist's office at 10 o'clock today. All you need to do is give them your personal information, call them, give them your personal information, and tell them that I sent you. You, know, you can use my name as a reference. Yeah, you might say she was just a tad bit forceful, but I want to say, what I want to say about that is, is this. When somebody says, you can use my name, you sincerely hope that their name's worth using. You know, and, uh, you know, if I were just to call the office on my own, you know, I doubt very much whether I just said, hey, I need to come in and see a doctor. I doubt very much that I'd be able to be uh, seen by a specialist that quickly. So, which brings me to the title of today's sermon, and it, the title is The Power of Jesus' Name. You know, a name implies so much more than just identification. You know, it carries with it authority, reputation, and power. You know, remember the Great Commission when Jesus himself said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he tells us that the name of Jesus has authority behind it when he says his name is above every name. You know, and when Jesus himself is talking about this authority in John 10, 18, he says, no one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. You know, I want to take a look at three primary uh, teaching points this morning, um, and each one of them points us to the power of Jesus' name. So the first teaching point, and you can write this in your notes, is uh, the power of his name causes amazement. Jesus the healer. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was considering the question, when was the last time that I saw something truly amazing? Uh, you, know, you know, when you see it, you kind of shake your head and say, did I really see that? You know, we see it all over, the, all over the place now. We see it on TikTok. We see it in video clips. We see it on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about, right? The thing like well, there's a full court, no-look shot that wins the game at the, at the um, basketball game at the end. And you just shake your head and you say, there's no way that just happened. Well, we see that happen in our, that type of event happen in our text today. It begins with a, it looks like a very similar account of things happening at the temple. It happened right there on the steps of the gate called Beautiful. This was most likely the eastern gate. It was the, the gate would have been made of brass and gold. And frankly, the metal work would have been very ornate and very... Uh, uh, very intricate. Size-wise, it would have been 45 foot wide, 22 and a half foot tall, so very large. Uh, if you picture it, you know, there they were standing at this gate. What an amazing venue it must have been. You know, a perfect place for a crippled person to be begging for alms. You know, there, and there was the lame, the lame beggar and Peter and John, who are so often found together um, in Scripture. They just walked by. You know, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, 
But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. See, that's, the, that's that shake-your-head cobweb moment that, that's happening. I can't believe just what just happened. You know, this man got up and walked. You know, people all around were astounded. Did you just see that? The guy who we see here laying every day uh, at the gate begging for a handout was just healed. You know, those two guys, uh, Peter and John, told him to get up and walk, and he did. It's amazing. It wasn't just amazing that he did get up and walk. Um, this man had been lame from birth. He'd been carried everywhere. You know, he went from no strength in his legs at all, no ability to get up, no way to earn a living. The only way he could survive was to ask for alms and depend on the generosity of others. And yet the text tells us that this guy stood up, walked, leaped, and praised God for what had just happened. His legs were way beyond the, went way beyond strength just enough to struggle and stand or struggle and stand and take a couple of steps. He was leaping and praising God. You know, in fact, uh, verses 8 and 9 says that, and all people saw him walking and leaping and praising God. So this really wasn't done in a discreet manner whatsoever. Uh, it was out in the open for everyone to see, and the people were amazed, filled with wonder at what had just happened. You know, we could stop right here and savor the boldness of Peter and John, you know, the overwhelming prompting that the Holy Spirit must have had at that point in time, telling Peter and John to stop until this man look at us. Uh, you know, and how glorious it would be to have that type of spirit-filled connection to be so emboldened and so empowered to make a statement like that. You know, many of you have had similar experiences, you know, where the Spirit moves you to help a stranger, Maybe buy some groceries, cause you buy a tank of gas for someone, you know, make a phone call on behalf of someone, or maybe the Spirit has just prompted you to say to a friend, you look frazzled. What's going on? Yes, the Spirit causes us to be sensitive to the people around us, but you know, we have to listen to the Spirit, and we have to respond. You know, when that friend that you're talking to comes out of the blue and says, Don, I'm afraid of dying, aren't you? You have to be ready to respond. Silence is not an option. You have to be ready to respond. You can't remain silent. You know, when, a, when someone else you know confides in you that my life is falling apart, what do you say? How do you say it? You have to be ready to respond when the Spirit brings those moments to you. It's a shame to miss an opportunity to give, to give an opportunity um, to give an answer for the reason, that, for the hope that we have. Um, so I dare say every one of us has missed those moments at one point in time or another. Um, but as for Peter and John here, they didn't miss this moment. You know, the Holy Spirit had prompted them. This beggar was looking for alms, and the Spirit moved them beyond the immediate physical need of food and money and took this man to places that he only dreamed of as a child. You know, he was... I'm sure he had dreamed his ability to dance and leap and jump and play with his other kids his age. Um, but he'd long ago gave those up as reality set in, right? But God had other plans. 
you know, plans to prosper this man, plans to use this man to bring glory and honor to his son Jesus. Peter says here, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a glorious healing encounter that must have been. We see the power here in Jesus' name, the power to heal all of our diseases, the power to redeem our lives from the pit. You know, Psalms 103 verses 1 through 5 says, redeem our lives from the pit and to crown us with love and compassion and satisfy our desires with good things. Some of you may well need that same healing encounter today. Life circumstances can beat us down. Relationships, maybe jobs that aren't good, a good fit for us. Decisions that you don't agree with can ruin our attitudes. You know, even the drumbeat of age is wearing you down. With doctor visit after doctor visit after doctor visit. My friends, let me just metaphorically say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Healing in whatever form that it takes comes through the great name of Jesus Christ. And lean into him in the midst of whatever struggle that you're facing with and find more than you ever expected like the beggar. More than you ever expected, more than you ever, ever dreamed of. The second teaching point um, this morning comes, um, you know, comes from verses 11 through 16. It says, the power of his name brings indictment. So Jesus had to die so the Holy Spirit could come and provide the counsel to Peter and John and so they could say what they needed to say to the beggar. As one would do with a friend, I just love it. Peter reaches out and helps the beggar up, um, and then they enter into the temple together. What a, what a great picture. I love that image. You know, and now you have the the beggar leaping, jumping, and praising God. There's so much packed into these few verses here. We want to pull it apart just a little bit. Uh, in verse, verse 11, he says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied the true presence in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Remember, the healing was in the full view of the crowd. Everyone saw it. Everyone was, the word used here in verse 11 is they were astounded. And then Peter, in his very first sentence of his speech, he says, why do you stare at us as though this healing was done under our own power? You know when you hear something familiar and your ears perk up? Well, when, you know, as Tom said last week, Peter knew his audience was Jewish, and he knew that they knew the Old Testament Scripture. It was wise here of Peter to get the attention of the Jewish crowd as they would have course, quickly recognized Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On many significant occasions, this description of God was used. You know, God himself used it before Moses from inside the burning bush on Mount Horeb when he says, I am, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by using this description, 
Peter is claiming continuity with the Old Testament prophets since he's declaring that the same God the prophets preached and the same Messiah that the prophets promised, um, and his audience knew it. So he was making a direct connection in the minds of the crowd that was there. You know, in the, but in, then in the very same verse, Peter gets very real with them. He says, but the people, but people, you had a chance to have him released. However, you chose to deliver him over and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. You know, Peter had their attention. And immediately he moved from providing the clarity that he had done, that the healing was not of their own power, and that was in verses 12 and 14, or excuse me, 12 and 16. But sandwiched in here is verses 14 and 15. Uh, In particular, verse 15, where it says, And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. This is a very short verse, and yet it contains two of the greatest events in human history. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. The crucifixion and the resurrection here are so close together. No intervening words in his speech. Very direct. On Friday evening, Jesus is laid in the grave, and he quits laying there on Sunday morning. He's like that, that quick. You know, Peter, in addressing this crowd, came at once to the very essence of what his message was. He didn't beat around the bush. He preached not just the gospel of the good news, but he preached Christ. You know, he preached the person of Christ who faced trial and rejection. He preached Christ crucified, condemned by them through rejection. And he preached the risen Christ who was glorified by his Father. It's the very strength of our Christian ministry. It's the very manner in which we are to evangelize. When we speak, it should be saturated with the name and person and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take Christ away, there is no gospel. You know, if there was ever a moment in history that a preacher might have neglected to speak about Christ, it could have been right here. You know, but Peter spoke boldly. Thinking in Think about it, you know, in Peter's mind, he could have gone something like this. Don't talk about Jesus. The people just recently killed him. These people hate him. Oh, I could preach the truth, but don't mention his name. Deliver his doctrine, but keep his person out of it, for you might incite them to anger and put your own life in jeopardy. But instead, I expect the Holy Spirit reminded Peter of that sinking feeling of denial when he heard the rooster crow for the third time. And the Spirit empowered Peter to tell him about Jesus. Peter knew Christ to be the power of God for salvation, and he wouldn't flinch from it again. So he delivered to them the gospel with simple sharpness. You killed him. You have crucified him. You chose a murderer over him. You know, I love the way Charles Spurgeon speaks about it when he says this. He, Peter, is not afraid of being personal. He does not shirk the touching of men's consciences. He rather thrusts his hand into their hearts and makes them feel their sin. He labors to, op- to open a window into the darkness of their souls to let the light of the Holy Ghost shine in their souls. You know, as followers of Christ... We must speak the gospel of Christ. There's no place on the sideline for those of us who believe. 
We are to be salt and light as we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the example that we have here for Peter in doing that is direct and quite matter of fact. In no way does, it take, does he take away from the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In no way does Peter try to win popular opinion by softening the message. You know, we too, like Peter, must boldly and earnestly preach the gospel. Preach the Christ of the gospel and preach it personally and directly to those who God has granted a listening ear to us for. I don't know where that's at for each and every one in this room. But God has got a place for each one of us to reach into the lives of others and challenge where they are really at. You know, the words, um, the words that Peter uses here are not going to be a, an evangelism sermon in our time. It's just not going to happen. You know, most of us are not Jewish. Most of us aren't familiar with the events that happened at that point in time, so it's going to take a different, different, certainly different feel. But um, we don't we don't have that firsthand knowledge that that they had. But what Peter did was lay out the evidence that they killed the Messiah, and in doing so, Peter Peter had made three indictments against the crowd: you disowned the holy and righteous one, you killed the author of life. They rejected, disowned, and killed the author of life. And then he follows those indictments by saying, this man who is standing before you, the beggar, this man who is standing before you has been healed by faith in the name of Jesus. That healing took place because Christ, whom you crucified, God glorified in that healing event. So, so far we've covered uh, causes, power of Jesus' name causes amazement, brings indictment, but he doesn't leave them there. He also delivers encouragement. You know, if you're a patient who's sick, do you ever accept a diagnosis or take a treatment unless you're convinced that there's a problem? I wasn't about to get my arm worked on unless I was certain that there was a problem. Um, you know, similar to that, there must be conviction before a sinner can experience conversion. And Peter had just described to these, the people here in the crowd the problem. They're sick. They're murderers. He doesn't leave them without hope. Let's look at verses 17 and 18 in our text. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that Christ would suffer, his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled that almost sounds like a defense of the guilty, doesn't it? You know, if this was a court of law, Peter was using the you didn't know and Christ needed to die defense. You know, in the Old Testament law, there, was a, there is a difference between deliberate sins and sins of ignorance. And if you want to study more on that, uh, you can look at Leviticus 4 and 5 and in Numbers 15 verses 22 through 31. It's beyond where I'm going today, but uh, certainly it's there available for you. The deliberate sinner could be cut off from his people, in some cases even killed. But the person who sinned without deliberate intent was given the opportunity to repent. Um, Most of us have sinned in ignorance. 
I would venture to say all of us have sinned in ignorance. Many of us have done things that we regret, things that we're sorry about, said things that we knew as soon as it came out of our mouths that we shouldn't have said it. We've lost our temper. We've reacted in anger. We've hurt people along the way, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly. You know, in today's courtroom, depending on how severe the hurt is, intent may be the difference between murder and manslaughter. But to be sure, in the eyes of the Jewish audience, Peter acknowledges that this sin qualifies as mitigated by ignorance for many of them. Whether it was out of ignorance or not, the guilt still remained. Just as our sin remains without repentance. In light of that, though, this, this text still leaves us with a number of reasons why we should be encouraged. So uh, the first reason that we should be con- encouraged after looking at this is, is that God fulfills His purpose. You know, despite the crowd being out of sync with God and not understanding that their actions were working against the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God was all the while fulfilling His purpose. Verse 18 says, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. In the midst of suffering, in spite of and even through the opposition of ignorant people, God was doing what He wanted to do, fulfilling prophecies of old. And that is an amazing thought because we look around America today our hearts break over and over again at the godlessness that we see around us. You know, God's banished from school. He's banished from the marketplace. People are shunned when talking about him in many higher education institutions. He's being scrubbed from most media outlets. He's gone. There's an intense rebellion and rage against Jesus Christ. And we have to ask, how on earth could God ever bring a glorious, good, hopeful purpose to pass when there's so much opposition and so much ignorance around us? And we come back to verse 18 and say, it's no worse than killing Jesus. If God was fulfilling everything he promised and planned through the opposition of ignorant people when they killed Jesus, he can fulfill his purpose today. No matter what kind of opposition and ignorance we see, So I would say, take heart, be encouraged. God reigns. Second reason for us to be encouraged is that God forgives sins. And we don't need to dig very far into verse 19 to realize that Peter's reminding them and us that there is a way to move beyond our troubled past. Let's look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You know, in verse 19, Peter tells them, repent, turn, and receive freedom from sin. Remember, repentance isn't feeling sorry for yourself, or it isn't feeling sorry for your sins. It's not saying, I'm sorry I got caught. You know, that's regret. Repentance is not, I feel terrible. That's remorse. And it isn't doing any kind of penance where we do something, some sort of special sacrifice, you know, with before God to make things right. No, true repentance is admitting what God says is true, and because it's true, change our mind about our sin and turn from it and change our mind about our direction that we're traveling and move towards the Savior and move towards righteousness. You know, God fulfilled 
all the promises about the suffering of the Messiah. Jesus' suffering became our suffering, and his death became the atonement for our sin. He took our guilt and tossed it as far as the east is from the west. And Peter is telling us, God, through his son, Jesus, made a way for our sins to be removed and the guilt to go along with it. A third reason to be encouraged is that God will restore all things. You know, Peter's preaching Christ to the individual here and to, the, and to religious leaders in verses 20 and 21. The, the result of preaching Christ was the same then as it is today. You can either accept or reject. And that day there were 2,000 men who heard the word and believed and were converted. But the leaders heard the word and rejected it. Refreshing times are available to all who repent. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 a little bit more closely. That, you know, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You know, Warren Wearsby says in his commentary that this is a two-level call to repentance. One level is for the individual, like you and me, to repent. And the other level is to the Jewish nation leaders, um, the Jewish nation's leaders as a call to repentance, national repentance, since the nation as a whole had denied the Messiah um, when they condemned Jesus to death. So on the national level, what Peter is telling the nation of Israel is if you repent, if you change your direction, God will send Jesus. The the Christ who had been appointed to them to restore all things. You know, we have, the, we have the benefit of knowing what God already knew what was going to happen, that the religious leaders dug in their heels in defiance towards Christ, and consequently the nation doesn't repent. And, and then in Acts 8, uh, the gospel message is moved on to the Samaritans, and then Acts 10 on to the Gentiles. Um, God's plan all along was to come to the Gentiles. Um, the phrase, the time for restoring all things, um, John MacArthur in his uh, commentary uh, makes it clear that whenever they use the phrase, the time for restoring all things, they're talking about the, the um, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ um, here. So we have so much to be, to be looking forward to. We have so much to be encouraged about, you know, um, as a result of, of what Peter is preaching here. So I want to, you know, go to our last section of Scripture today. Um, and Peter goes back to the prophets of old, reminding the Jewish audience uh, of the promises that God had made and the warnings that had previously been issued by, in Scripture by the prophets. And he quotes Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15 here in verses 22 and 23 when he issues the warning of, what happens to those who reject the Messiah? When he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. What Peter is doing is reminding them that their most highly regarded prophet Moses had told them that the rejection of Messiah would result in the loss of the covenant blessings that God made to Abraham. Those listening found themselves in a very dangerous place. That 
you persist in rejecting Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, will now forfeit God's blessings. Uh, I pray that none of us are in that category. You know, the fourth reason for for us to be encouraged today is um, that God is long-suffering. So even if you do find yourself in that position today where you haven't come to a place where you've accepted the Christ, um, God is long-suffering. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 37, says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, Peter found his audience to be in, the same pl- in this same place despite the numerous Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. They had, been, um, they had no excuse not to see. Jesus in John 5 said to the unbelieving Jews in his audience, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And on the road to Emmaus, following the resurrection, Jesus said to two of his followers, O you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, Israel's problem here wasn't intellectual, it wasn't informational, it was moral, and they lacked repentance. You know, the Jewish leaders had rejected John the Baptist and his teaching. They'd rejected the ministry of Jesus Christ. And yet God gives them yet another opportunity to repent and be saved. You know, in the last two verses of our text, 25, he says, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one one of you from your wickedness. And I want to point out one thing here, and it's in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter uses the phrase here, every one of you. He doesn't let the idea of a national Jewish blessing overshadow the need for personal repentance. You know, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he sent him to each one who'd turned from sin. Uh, So whoever would repent could receive the blessings, the covenant blessings. You know, in our text today, Peter has used several names for Jesus. He used the Holy and Righteous One, God's Son, the author of life. And I love that, the author of life. You know, in John, in 1 John 1, verses 2 and 3, we read, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus bears the name here, the life, in that passage. And elsewhere, he says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Even in Revelations 1.18, he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. We have a living God, we have a living Savior, 
John 5, 5.26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. You know, all things were created through him and for him and by him. He is the author of life, and he's died once for all, and now he cannot cease to be alive. All things may pass away. You and I will come and go, and the author of life will still be alive and living and active. And yet, at one point, Jesus did die. He died for the just and the unjust. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit. You may ask, what does this have to do with me? And to that I simply ask, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he alive in you? Is he alive to you? Do you live by him? Or are you dead in sin? Which is it? See, a man must either be dead or alive. There's no space between death and life. You are either dead in sin or alive in righteousness. Which are you? Each one of us can tell by our own state where we're at if we make an honest assessment of our lives. You ask, have I received eternal life from Christ? I expect some in this room, somebody online, uh, will probably answer, no, I'm afraid I haven't received it. Then you ask the question, well, do you want to? Do you desire to possess the new life the author of life can be found if you seek him. Scripture tells us, he, he that seeks will find, but take care in your search. Because Scripture also says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I would encourage you, if you have questions about your eternal standing before God and walking in the way of righteousness, talk to us. You know, ask your questions. Anyone who's made the profession of faith should be able to answer the questions that you have. You can, sure, you can come talk to an elder. You can come talk to the pastor. Uh, well, you can't talk to the pastor today because he's not in town. But, but anybody who's, who's a born-again believer in Jesus Christ should be able to answer these questions for you. Certainly, you can talk to the elders, but know that you're not alone and any question that you ask might be asked, will have already been asked before. You may ask, how do I take my stand? It's really quite simple. Admit that you're sick. Admit there's a problem, and that problem is sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died on the cross for your sin. And believe he rose again from the dead to, con rose again from the dead to conquer death. And confess your sin and repent. Turn from your sin and walk with him in the path to righteousness. Some of you may be like the beggar, seeking alms. You're here seeking a handout instead of seeking the Savior. Some of you might be searching for your own desired path instead of the path that the Lord has planned for you. We often treat the Holy One as the one who passes out gifts for our comfort, but be reminded the beggar was asking for a handout. The beggar was given much more than he asked for. 
He was healed from his long, lifelong infirmities. He, was asking, he wasn't asking for it. God had his plan, and it was a much better plan. So if you're here seeking your plans, acknowledge that God knows better than you do where he wants you at, and he knows the blessings that will come along with it. You know, God's plan used the beggar as exhibit A before the court temple, the temple court, right? Exhibit A, this man can be healed, and God did it. In the power of Jesus' name, he did it. Uh, it was an undeniable healing in the name of Jesus Christ that, that happened that day. You know, people became firsthand witnesses to the power in Jesus' name. And brothers and sisters, I can just say, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Seek him with all of your heart. You know, we've covered a lot of ground. You know, um, I started out today talking about my tennis coach and her insistence with, uh, that I see a specialist, you know, for my elbow and how I was ready to take that wait-and-see approach, right? Well, I can, just, I can just tell you that my approach was very similar to the Jews. I needed to be convinced that there was an injury that needed mending. Mine was a physical injury. I had a coach who recognized, though, that I had a problem. And that coach cared enough to be persistent in chasing me all the way to the doctor's office. Friends, we serve a God who, long before we knew him, knew we had a problem. The problem was sin. We all have it. And God, who long, long before we knew him, sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross as a propitiation for our sin, as payment for our sins. We did absolutely nothing to deserve it. It's a free gift of God. And it's through grace alone. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn it. You know, and the only thing that we need to do is repent. And outside of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, of, Lord and Savior of our lives, um, there's, we remain in eternal death. So that, but the day that you do accept it is the day that you cross over from death to life. Yep, it's a free gift. And it's available to us only through the power of Jesus Christ. May he forever be glorified. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for you know, having it go forth, Lord. I pray that um, you know, it's caused us to think this morning. Thank you for that as we consider our lives, may your spirit move in our hearts to bring us to a place not just to where we want to be but where you need us to be as your children may our lives bring glory to your name for it's in the great and powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray amen